announced the creation of a new information operations technical training school. So in our business of national security, where our job is to fly, fight, and win, we better be masters at this game of innovation. Air Force Basic Military Training has an updated curriculum with a new focus on readiness and lethality. This is the Developing Mach 21 Airmen Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome in to episode number 8 of Developing Mach 21 Airmen. Thanks for the subscribe, stream, or download, however you might be listening in. Have some extra time. We'd certainly appreciate some stars or even a review of the podcast. Let us know how we're doing, bringing you timely and relevant info across the RTE spectrum. My name is Dan Hawkins from the Air Education and Training Command Public Affairs Office and your host for this professional development podcast dedicated to bringing total force Big A Airmen insight, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from the recruiting, training, and education field. So episode number eight, and we're changing it up today in more ways than one. First off, today we're not really focusing on necessarily a learning topic per se, but more a story of resilience from a personal angle and the development of an airman from a human perspective who just happens to be a military training leader. And it is a simply powerful story. And I think you are going to love it as you're going to be filled with so much emotion after you listen uh, to this great interview. And the other way that today's edition is a little bit different here on Developing Mach 21 Airmen is we farmed out this edition of the show and asked Master Sergeant Ryan Crane, the superintendent at the 81st Training Wing Public Affairs Office at Keesler Air Force Base in Mississippi, to jump headfirst into the fray. And he doesn't disappoint with this simply powerful story of one NCO's resilience as she went from thinking she was going to get out of the Air Force to finding herself as a military training leader, ensuring our airmen are lethal and ready to tackle any mission. The story centers around Technical Sergeant Victoria Monzone, a military training leader instructor at the 81st Training Support Squadron at Keesler Air Force Base. Sergeant Monzone was born and raised in Guatemala, and due to the conflict in her home country. She fled to the United States with her family where they sought asylum. And when she was old enough, Sergeant Monzone decided to join the Air Force. But because she wasn't a U.S. citizen, her options in the Air Force initially were limited. So after a few years of being in the service, Sergeant Monzone was pretty unhappy with her career path and had made up her mind to separate from the Air Force uh, voluntarily. But Fast forward just a little bit to right before she is about to separate from the Air Force, she was submitted for the developmental special duty process and was selected to become a military training leader, which changed her plans to leave the Air Force. And over the next year or so of her career, Sergeant Monzone faced numerous personal and professional challenges that really tested her fortitude as an airman. And this story is really one of resilience, hardship, and overcoming adversity. And in the end, she's able to find that path to success um, despite all the low points that were along the way for her. And she found herself as a better military training leader and a better airman. Sergeant Monzone, during the interview, talks to also why she loves being a military training leader and how she loves the teaching aspect of the job 
she described it as filling up airmen's cups, and it's really just a powerful story. Throughout the interview, you're going to hear the emotion in her voice, and Sergeant Crane uh, is a wonderful interviewer, and so he just really brought out the best in Sergeant Monzone, and just hearing her very real description of her struggles and how she was able to overcome them and her passion for the Air Force simply inspiring and her honest assessment of herself and and even when she talks about the epiphany she had about the airmen she was leading and their view of her it's simply just can't miss listening and I think you're gonna love it so let's turn it over to Sergeant Crane and Sergeant Monzone episode 8 of developing Mach 21 airmen starts right now. Hey there, podcast listeners. This is Master Sergeant Ryan Crane with the 81st Training Wing Public Affairs Office. Today, I have Tech Sergeant Victoria Monson from the 81st Training Support Squadron, and she is an MTL instructor here at Keesler. Tech Sergeant Monson, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. So thanks for being here with us. Obviously, you've got a really unique set of skills and a unique experience in life being an MTL and specifically an MTL instructor. Just talk me through, you know, how you came to be, why you joined the Air Force, and how we got here today. Well, um, first, I would like to thank you for the opportunity to be on this channel. Um, I joined the Air Force back in 2007, and I joined because I wanted to, I wanted an education. So let me take you back to how I grew up. I grew up in, in Guatemala. And in 2000, I came to the U.S. through political asylum. And my parents, uh, my dad left Guatemala when I was one year old, and my mom left when I was three because of the civil war that we had going on in Guatemala at the time. So I grew up with my grandparents, and in the year 2000, we finally, after so many years of my dad trying to get me and my siblings to come to the U.S., we finally got approved uh, to, to move here. And I grew up very poor. Uh, nobody in my family, uh, people don't go to school because of lack of resources. I have a lot of uh, cousins that don't know how to read, don't know how to write, because we just never had the opportunity to go to school. Uh, coming to the U.S. In, in 2000, I didn't speak any English. And I remember going to school, and people would talk to me, and my answer was always no because I didn't know what they were telling me. <laughs> Eventually, of course, I learned English and transitioned through high school. When I came to be a senior in high school, I still wanted an education because it's something that I hadn't seen in my family. But we're still kind of poor. Uh, we didn't have resources, and the Air Force was the thing that came to be that said, hey, we'll pay for your education if you just join. And... I didn't have a, I, I was a, a green card holder at the time. I wasn't a citizen. And the only job that, jobs that I was qualified for without a, being a, a, a citizen was services, personnel, and supply. And services was the one that kind of stuck out to me. And that's where I went. I went to services. And uh, initially it was supposed to be for six years, but then I re-enlisted. And now I've been in for, for 12 years. So back in 2014, I had my first duty station was uh, McGuire Force Space, New Jersey. And, and I was there for the first six years of my career. And those six years, I deployed four times. 
And I remember coming back from my fourth deployment in 2013, December of 2013, I came back and I was just unhappy with the job. Uh, there was nothing. I felt like I was just a number in the Air Force. I felt like I was just going through the day with uh, what's the point. And I just had too much. I was under a lot of stress. And at the time is when the Air Force decided that they were, they were downsizing. So they were letting anybody that was coming in uh, applying for voluntary separation, they were giving them the opportunity to get out. And they also said, by the way, we'll give you some money for you to get out. I had three years left in my contract, and I said, you know what? I want to do it. I want to get out because I don't like this anymore. And I remember uh, meeting with my commander, and he's a great commander. He tried to persuade me to stay in the military. He said, I will assign you to another section if it's maybe you're not happy with the job that you're doing right now. And I said, sir, the best thing that you can do for me is just sign my voluntary separation and let me out. And he said, okay, well, since I can't persuade you, then I'll just go ahead and forward your paperwork to the wing. And it was, I think it was like a Tuesday, a Thursday, excuse me. And I went back to work happy because I already knew this is, this is it. I'm out. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. The following week, I come into work and I open my email. And there was an email that said, congratulations, you have been selected to be an MTL. Wow. And a complete change of pace. Absolutely. Yes. And that light that I saw at the end of the tunnel completely disappeared. And all the plans that I had, it was out the window. And because of that one change, um, here I am now. I've gone through a lot uh, because of, of that decision that someone made for me. I didn't know that I was being nominated for DSD. I didn't, nobody asked me if it's something that I wanted to do. But at the end of the day, it was one of those things that I did sign a contract and I can't back out. I can't get out of it. How did you feel when, when you found out that, you know, all these plans that you were making were completely gone? To me, it was the end of the world at the time. Um, I already said that I felt like I was a number um, in, in the Air Force at the time, and that even made it, it solidified it more for me, that feeling of nobody really cares about what I want to do. We're just worried about filling up a space. And it was disheartening. And did you know anything about what an MTL was other than just going through tech school? Or did you, did you have any idea what you were about to get into? Not at all. <laughs> but I remember talking to some people about it. And when they described what an MTL does, uh, my first thought was, I'm four foot eleven. Uh, I'm also a, a very timid female. At the time, um, I had no self-confidence. I was very shy. Uh, so I'm looking at, at myself. How can I possibly go stand in front of airmen? And at this point, I knew that I was going to go lead a tech school where it was 
predominantly males uh, missile and space training. And I just had no confidence. I didn't know how I was going to lead a, a whole lot of male airmen as a four foot eleven female that came from a third world country. So to me, it was. I kept telling myself, I can't do this. I'm going to fail at this. So a lot of uncertainty leading up to the point, but then, like you said, you know, you have a contract, you have a you had a responsibility to fill, and you 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 followed through with that, and you showed up to to school to learn how to be an MTL, and and how how did that process go? How did you <laughs> how did you approach that? Man, I'll tell you, uh, before. Before I left to go to MTL school, uh, I went home to visit my family because I grew up in Massachusetts. Uh, I was very close close to where I could go see my family almost every weekend. And I went to visit them. And while I was there, I decided that I was going to dye my hair red. <laughs> and when I tell you it's like, red, like, I, I can show you pictures. Like, like fire truck red. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was... I, I can picture it in my head. I, I've, <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've seen that red on an airman before. And I was like, what are you thinking? <laughs> but imagine this is an airman. So imagine you being uh, an instructor for MTLs and you have an NCO that shows up to your course oh, yeah. with red hair. Uh, I'm sure that they were like, what <laughs> What do we have here? And not only that, but I showed up, I, I naturally, I guess I tend to have this really straight face. There's no emotion on my face. So I show up and, you know, I'm not happy to be there. And talking to my instructor later on, uh, she said that she thought I was going to be the problem student and that she was going to have a hard time with me. I mean, naturally, it's understandable. I showed up with red hair. (laughs) And at the time, it was two weeks, and it was in Texas. And it was a lot of, uh, you're here to be an MTL, and we're going to teach you drill. And it it was really our course wasn't intended to prepare you on how to lead people. It was more so these are the, the boxes that you have to check. But we're not teaching you how to develop those abilities of interpersonal relationships. Um, So it was tough. Um, They told me uh, with my red hair, they told me that if I didn't change the color that I wasn't going to be allowed to graduate. And of course, we're talking four years now left in the Air Force, so I, I have to make something out of it. I remember driving through San Antonio, trying to find a place that would dye my hair overnight and it was tough <laughs> last minute hair appointment you need to go home and take care of that and absolutely <laughs> <laughs> you better not show up with it tomorrow yes absolutely so talk to me about uh you know it's this two two week course um obviously you're, you're still sitting here today we're talking about this amazing story that you have did did you start to feel the change and, and buy back into this program in those two weeks or was that a foundation or were you just just against it the whole time not at all now you know i grew up with a my my grandparents taught me tremendous work ethic um so whether i like something or not i am still going to do what i'm required to do i might not go a hundred percent but I, I will make sure that whatever has my name on it, uh, that is, is a good representation. So even though I wasn't happy, I was still just going through with emotions. Um, on the inside, I was, 
I was dying on the inside, but on the outside, it's like, you know what, let's, let's just go through this. But two weeks was not enough for me to buy into being an MTL. Uh, it didn't take, it took me a year to finally wow. buy into being an MTL. So I showed up after my two weeks of tech training. I showed up to Vandenberg in California, which is something that I was also very unhappy about. So when I received my my notification of becoming an MTL, at the time they told me that I could do a BOP, essentially, that I could list the bases I wanted to go to and they were going to assign me to whatever base I chose. And all my base, all the bases that I chose were in Texas. And then when I received my assignment notification, it said, you're going to California, across the country where I have no family. I have, I know nobody. Um, so I showed up to Vandenberg and I was still upset that I was there. But Vandenberg is beautiful, such a beautiful place. And uh, showing up. I was working with uh, three other males, and I was the only female. And I started working the night shift, which was I would come in from 1, 1 p.m. and work till 10. And that is probably one of the worst shifts that you could ever work. You get no interaction with real people. Not that airmen aren't real, but, you know, I can't socialize with the airmen uh so everybody would we would have our shifts were stacked to the point where we had maybe two or three hours overlap where i could work with other mtls but then when they were gone it was just me and i worked that shift for a long time and um coming up in 2015 for the the holiday break I went back home to Guatemala, and I hadn't been there since uh, 2006. And um, my grandfather, who raised me, uh, he was on his deathbed. And uh, when I saw him, uh, he was literally just, he couldn't do anything for himself. He had to be fed. He had to, he couldn't speak anymore. Uh it was like having a child again. And in those two weeks, I tried to spend as much time as I possibly could with him. And um, coming back January 3rd, I left to come back to go back to work. And about two hours after I got home, I got a phone call that he passed away. So at this point, you know, I'm telling you, um, I had no social support. I hadn't had time to make friends at Vandenberg. And the most influential person in my life had just passed away. And I was coming back to a job that I was still, I wouldn't say unhappy, but it was just, it's just a job. Later on that month, I had my PT test, which was also the same time that my EPR was closing out. And throughout my career, I've considered myself to be in pretty good shape. And if you look at my records, you'll see 
all my scores have been excellent. So I wasn't worried. I was still dealing with grieving with my grandfather's death and um, not having a, a close social support at my base. Um, but I figured, oh, it's just a PC test. Nothing new. So I go in, and I failed. And I didn't know how to deal with it because I had never failed before. So as soon as I'm done taking the test, I go back to to my job to let uh, my flight chief know that I had just finished. I failed. I'm going home to change and I'll be back. And I think it took me like maybe an hour or two to come back. And when I came back, that was the main priority was you failed your PT test. Let's look. And I failed because of sit-ups. I, I think I, I was short five sit-ups. And they focused a lot on, well, even though you've gotten excellent before, let's look at you've gotten close to failing your sit-ups before. You've been really close all these years. So what have you done? And in my mind, I'm thinking, but does it matter? I've gotten excellent. But I didn't feel like anybody really took the time to find out what was going on in my life. And I did make it known. I did let people know, hey, this is what's going on in my life. I had a, my, my grandfather passed away. I'm dealing with personal issues aside from that. And I don't have any friends. But I felt like the main focus was that PT test. So because my EPR was closing out the same month, uh, that led to a referral EPR. And also talks about, they told me that they were potentially going to remove my rope because I couldn't stand up there leading airmen when I couldn't pass a PT test. And it was tough. Eventually after that, um, because of what had happened, um, I got moved to, to a morning shift. I was finally taken off of, of night shift. But I still had that referral EPR, and I was still going to school, which was the main reason why I joined the Air Force. So now, not only I couldn't test for tech, which I had been preparing for, I couldn't go to school anymore because I had to wait a whole year for that referral EPR to fall off my my records. And I didn't feel good with myself holding my airmen accountable for something when I was going through this failure. But looking back at it, that's when I finally bought into being an MTL. And that's when I finally understood How important our job is.
and the huge responsibility that we have. And it's not just about showing up to do a job. It's not just about telling an airman, hey, don't do this, don't do that. But it's about taking care of people. And I've had some good leaders in my life, some people that I look up to, but I've also had people that I can't say that they took good care of me. And that's been my motivation. I tell myself uh, one day, can't remember when it happened. (laughs) I just know it happened after my failure. But I had this epiphany. I have the opportunity that one of my airmen could one day be the next Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. And how do I want them to remember me when they become the next Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force? And that's really when it all changed for me. It's amazing how... uh... It's, it's an amazing story, but it's amazing how just like looking back, I think everyone knows an airman, even they may be that airman who has that story of I was just getting hit over and over and over and I was done. And then there was just that moment when it all just clicked, when you realize that you weren't treated the way that you want to be treated and you're not going to let that happen to anyone else. And I feel like as bad as everything was for you, that's an amazing story to, to, to come out of the bottom, come out of the depth of where you were and just realize and see how you can take that and turn it into a positive for everyone else that you interact with from that day forward. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I can't say that I'm, I'm a perfect leader. Um, I'm by no means anywhere close to being perfect. Uh, but that's really what I ask myself every day is how am I treating people? Am I really living up to that image that I have in my head? And I made mistakes. Um, Looking back at being a line MTL and being responsible for airmen, um, some decisions that I took that had to do with them uh, weren't the best. But that's that's really how you learn. Um, You're not always going to make the best decisions. But it's how, how you learn from those decisions that you made, how you learn from your mistakes. And that's really what I try to do with my life every day. And I think that everything that you're describing here, you know, while it's very, very relevant as an MTL, as a leader of those young airmen, it's it's also relevant to every single person in the Air Force. This is this is being a supervisor. This is taking care of people. Uh, these are these are lessons in, in in values that you hope that everyone in the Air Force holds. And, uh, you know, the fact that you get to be on the front lines and, and be one of the first faces that airmen see with those values and train the future MTLs that will then be the front lines. You know, that's that's an amazing feeling, I have to imagine. It is. It, it truly is because, you know, when an airman goes through basic training, uh, I used to be the kind of person that thought, oh, you got taught everything in basic training. You should know how to wear the uniform. You should know about AFI 36-2903. Everybody should know about that. Uh, but let's be honest, how many, how many people really do remember everything that happened in basic training? It was all a blur because you're under so much stress. And 
our airmen are are that is nobody knows everything and we can't just assume that everybody knows everything and sometimes questions may sound dumb and it may something may seem like oh it's common sense you should know this but common sense isn't common and sometimes we just need that patience to stop and teach someone oh so you've never heard about 362903 well let me tell you about it and this is what you can find in it and matter of fact download it on your phone and and just taking the time little taking small time out of your day to dedicate it to people yeah absolutely and i think that's like i said that's just that should just be core for every nco senior nco airman in the air force is just making sure that we're taking care of each other. Not everyone knows what you know. Share that knowledge and make sure that people are taken care of. Don't look at people, like you said, as a number. Don't approach a situation as black and white, a PT failure or uh, a behavioral issue. There's always something, if you peel back those onion layers, something else going on. And I think that's a great story to, to think about the airman and think about the person first before you think about the behavior because there's always something behind that. And I think that you're a great example of that, a great reminder for everyone of that. Absolutely. And uh, our career field manager, Chief Master Marshall, one of her things that she briefs the new uh, MTLs when they come through school is one thing that I ask you to do is ask your airmen, help me understand. And she stands by that. And it's, it's something that I tell myself every day. Like, why did someone get to that point? Why did you make that decision? And Sometimes we just we just want to go and correct the behavior, but that is like putting a bandaid on something. You're just covering it, covering it up. But when you take the time, I've had I I remember uh, some of my airmen when I used to talk to them and in, in so why did you do this? Oh, because I just wasn't thinking. Well, wh- why weren't you thinking? And those questions get uncomfortable for anybody when you continue to ask the why. But that's how you get to the bottom of something. You just continue and make someone uncomfortable to the point that they really have to think about why they made a decision that they made. Absolutely. So, you know, shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about being an MTL, talk about your your role in the DSD program, your experience with the DSD program. I know for me personally, when they rolled out the new DSD program and how the how it would work, my, my reservations were probably very similar. You know, just because um, someone may think that I'm a good fit for a job or make be a good fit for something, uh, while I appreciate their confidence in me, maybe uh, maybe I don't have the personality for it. But I think that we're kind of getting to a point now where senior leaders are doing a really good job of having those conversations with their airmen before being submitted, and you know, uh, making sure that this is something that they want to do. Because I I, I firmly believe that. I'm going to do a better job at something if I'm bought into it and if it's something that I want to do, uh, while also looking at performance and things like that. So can you talk to me about just the DSD program in general for you, the type of uh, the type of people you see coming in? Are they people who, who definitely want to be MTLs? Is it a little bit of a mix? From, from when it first rolled out, I was... So I was in the first cycle of DSD back in 2014. And from there to this point, we made a tremendous change uh, for the positive to where leaders are definitely taking the opportunity now to talk to their their NCOs and asking their input on what they really want to do. Uh, when it first rolled out, 
they were just throwing people in there. Uh, but now, um, for the most part, when when our students come through and we ask them, how many of you wanted to be here? Uh, about 90% of our students want to be here. That's that's something that they wanted to do. But we still occasionally get the people that, no, this, this wasn't my choice. I just, I don't know why I'm here. So with that, uh, I have seen some, some great NCOs that I know are going to make, uh, are going to be tremendous MTLs, but I've also seen NCOs that they're just not into it. They just don't want to do it. And no matter how much we try to motivate them and paint this picture of how great of a job it is and, and the huge responsibility that we have, they're just close-minded. And that's really, I think, is the key, is how open-minded are you. Now... I am thankful that someone made a decision for me to come and do this because had I been given the opportunity or had someone asked me, do you want to be an MTL? I would have said no because I had no confidence in myself and I didn't want to step outside of my comfort zone. So it took someone to literally push me out for me to finally find myself. Uh, so I, I, I don't know where I stand. I, I have mixed feelings. Um, I think some people just need that push because someone sees in you, we are very critical of ourselves. We're our worst critic. Um, but other people see us in, in a different light. And other people see something in us that we just absolutely don't see in us. And, and I think that sometimes it, it's good that those people push us outside of our comfort zone. I agree. It's uh, I, I've had a very similar experience. I, I went to an assignment, kind of kicking and screaming, and and maybe like you, uh, you know, maybe had a not great attitude about it for the first you know five or six months, and then it's like like you said, I had like that aha moment. Something clicked, and I was like, oh, I I get it now. Mm-hmm. This is this is how I fit into this, and this is what I can do, and this is why this is important. And it is it's kind of you know, looking back, I, I feel so young and immature that I was like so upset about this thing <laughs> because now I can look back and say, you know, that was a defining moment in my career that mm-hmm. kind of definitely put me on a path that I'm on now. And I wouldn't have anything that I have now had someone not made a decision for me. So I, I get it. You know, it's a, it's a double-edged sword between, uh, you know, trusting your leaders to see what they see in you. Um, but then, you know, also just making sure that, you know, people are also a little bit comfortable with where they're going. But I agree. Uh, um, yeah, I, I agree. You know, I, I, in the end, I think that, you know, if a senior leader sees something in you, then, yeah, let's let's explore that. I've definitely adopted that approach. I may be like, no, nah, I don't think that's for me, man, but uh, <laughs> I'll try it. Um, that's definitely that experience definitely has changed my opinion on it. So. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, um, I think that's it really takes me back to really getting to know your people and really getting to know their strengths and where they're going to fit well into the mission. Uh, Because if if you haven't taken the time to even learn my name or learn where I came from, um, it's hard for me to really trust your opinion as a leader. Um, And it's really hard for me to just say, you know what, my leader really thinks I can do this if, if we don't have that connection. I agree. And um, kind of, talking about that connection and talking about those things. Um, if, if you could connect with those people in our audience and those people who are hopefully, you know, maybe they find this podcast or they find an information article about MTLs, what, what would you like to, 
to pass along to them? What would be, how would you want to connect with them and really sell this job, uh, sell this this uh, assignment to them? If you were if you were a car salesman and you had to sell <laughs> MTLs uh, to a group of people who had no idea what they were doing, how would you get me to want to be an MTL? This is absolutely the best job in the Air Force. And I've had a lot of jobs in the Air Force. Uh, but why is this job so important? Well, this is really the place where you build your legacy. Uh, think about, you remember your MTI. Who doesn't remember their MTI? Certain occasions, people remember their MTLs. And whether it's for good or bad things, they, they remember those people. And when you do something good for someone, it's, it makes you feel better about yourself. So being an MTL is really building your legacy and filling somebody else's cup. And that cup is our airman's cup. And we, all of us have a cup. And when you take time to walk an airman through, prime example, I had an airman that showed up to my tech school who didn't know how to use a debit card. And I was just baffled at the fact that debit cards have been around for a while. How do you not know how to use a debit card? But taking the time to teach him, um, this is how you use a debit card and this is what it's good for. Uh, in teaching airmen just general life skills. Um, I also had an airman who had a really hard time making friendships. And I, I actually was just uh, thinking about her this morning. Um, she was a reservist. And she was getting ready to uh, graduate tech school. And I noticed that she was a little off. Um, so I, I stopped her one day and I was like, hey, what's going on? You know, you don't seem like yourself. And you're getting ready to graduate. Is, is there anything I can help you with? And we just started talking and peeling back that onion. And this airman was about to go home um, in three weeks. And she didn't have a place to stay. Uh, because uh, her parents had kicked her out of the house and told her, you're an adult now, you have joined the Air Force. Uh, when you come back, you have to figure it out on your own. Um, and, you know, an active duty airman, you, you're going to Operational Air Force, you're getting a dorm room. You, kn you have a place to stay. And this airman didn't. And I asked her, well, is there any family, friends, anybody you can stay with? And she tells me, no, absolutely no one. Well, do you have any friends here? And she had been in tech school for about four months now. And she tells me that she doesn't have any friends. And I felt like I was seeing myself on her. Uh, so we started talking and coming up with different plans on, on things that she could do. And I reached out to her home unit um, to try to figure out a plan for this airman. And in the meantime, while she was in tech school, I gave her, it seemed like a silly assignment. But I told her, Every day until you graduate, I want you to go up to one of your wingmen here uh, and ask them a question about themselves. Ask them where they came from, ask them about family, or get to know them. And at the end of the day, I want you to come to my office and I want you to tell me about that airman. And she really made it her mission. And she had a notebook that she would carry with her. And every day she started off as this is just an assignment. And she would go up to an airman and ask them about their personal life. And in those three weeks, this airman became the popular airman in the norms. And for me, 
I got to know more about my airmen. And when you do little things like that, it, it's so rewarding. It's really the intangibles. When you see an airman come from BMT and they're, uh, some of them might be scared. They don't know how to be adults. And then you finally see them graduate and go be airmen. And it, it's just very rewarding. But also, I've ran into airmen uh, that were some of my former airmen who are now NCOs, uh, who are now supervising other airmen. And I'm just slowly waiting for the day that one of them comes through the MTL course. And I hope that doesn't happen because I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. But just uh, with some of the airmen that have reached out to me to tell me this is what's going on in my life and that just makes a world of a difference. Uh, the thank you, thank you cards that you get, thank you emails that you get. Um, I had an airman who told me, he asked me if we had a picture together. And I was like, no, we don't have a picture together. We were not allowed to take pictures together. You're, you were my airman at the time. And he, had, he got separated from the Air Force for medical reasons. Uh, so he... Um, he was like, well, I'm finally graduating from this course, this civilian course, and they have asked me to highlight someone that has had uh, the biggest impact in my life. Um, so I was like, I don't have a picture with you, but I have a picture where I took a picture with one of the airmen when they graduated, and he was in the background. So I sent him the picture, and I said, this is the only picture I have uh, while you were in tech school. So he cropped himself out onto the airman that I, I had taken the picture with. And at his graduation, uh, they had to put a slideshow of that person. And he put me on there. That I was a person that saw something in him. That I pushed him to find his purpose. And it's those things that really make the job worthy. And, and just like any job in the Air Force, there are things that uh, it can be very stressful uh, of you constantly pouring yourself out to your airmen and giving and giving and giving. Uh, but at the end, the end result is, is just truly amazing to know that you're training the future leaders of the Air Force. You're building that foundation. And one of the things that I tell my MTL students now is look at the people you worked with before you came to this course. Look at the airmen that you work with. If you didn't like what you saw, this is your, your opportunity to change the Air Force because you're building that foundation. So how do you want the Air Force? Do you want the Air Force to be successful? Then teach your airmen to be successful. You have that power. And it's such a, such a humbling opportunity that you have a hand in building the future of the Air Force. I mean, what other job is going to allow you to do that? And it's just getting to know people, just being able to help people. Thanks, Texan Watson. Uh, an amazing story, an amazing ride, an amazing experience. The, the Air Force, Keesler, your United States is, is absolutely just thrilled to have you this is it's it's amazing that you're here and thank you so much for being on here to tell your story thank you very much for the opportunity 
uh, to to be able to share my story. And, you know, going back from I hate the Air Force, I don't want to be here anymore. Uh, I, I'm bought into into the Air Force. And, and my goal really is to be influential, not just with airmen, but just with people I come in contact with. Um, so anytime I, I have an opportunity to share my story, I, I truly take advantage of it. So I, I truly appreciate uh, you giving me this forum to, to be able to share that story. Wow, this interview has just left me completely without words. But in a good way, it's so inspiring to hear Sergeant Monzone's Air Force story and learn how she pushed through seemingly insurmountable odds to become a better version of herself. And we definitely want to say thank you to Sergeant Monzone for telling her story and to Master Sergeant Crane for his work on the podcast. As a reminder, you can follow Air Education and Training Command via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on the web at www.aetc.af.mil. Thanks for checking out the podcast as we dive into the world of recruiting, training, and education for our entire AETC public affairs staff. I'm Dan Hawkins. So long. We'll talk to you next time on Developing Mach 21 Airmen.